Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. We are in the middle of election season, and on today's episode, Pastor Lance Hahn and I welcome Todd Milliken to the program to talk about how we can engage with election season without losing our minds. Todd is a missional community leader here at Bridgeway and a former senior pastor, and he's recently written a document designed to help other missional community leaders navigate election season. We think you're really going to benefit from the principles he has to share on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 9 of the Engaging Culture Podcast. Brian Kiley with you, joined, as always, by Pastor Lance Hahn. Pastor Lance, how are you? I am doing excellent. This is the first notification I've had that we have an election coming up. So I feel like I'm really just joining the party. Yes, there is an election coming up. Oh, uh, glad that you are now informed. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll just sort of work forward from from there. And uh, Pastor Lance and I are currently in our own offices, separated by about eight feet. But it looks like we're in totally separate locations. So, you know. It is what it is. Uh, But I am very excited for our conversation today. Uh, Todd Milliken is with us, as I mentioned in the open, former senior pastor, current missional community leader here at Bridgeway, father of many, many, many children, and just an all around (laughs) great dude. So Todd, welcome to the program. It is true. We've got the first commandment down. We have been fruitful and we have multiplied. A little, a little unclear on you know success rate on the rest of the commandments, but we got the first one down. <laughs> you got that nice one dialed in. Um, well, uh, really, really appreciate Todd you being on the show today, and I'm really looking forward to to our conversation. I figured we could start by just each saying who we're voting for and why. If you're voting for the other person, you are not a real Christian. So, uh, Lance, <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, totally kidding. But uh, so I, as we sort of got into election season, I said to myself, I remember, I, I just said, okay, there is no way we are touching politics this fall. I'm just not going to do it. I don't need the nonsense that comes with that in my life. And we're just not talking about politics on the Engage Your Culture podcast. Well, then a couple of weeks ago, my colleague and friend, Heather Johnson, sent me this email and said, hey, I want you to read this thing that Todd Milliken wrote and see if you think it'd be good to send to missional community leaders. And it was this document entitled Leading Your Group Through Election Season. And I'm like, okay, like I, I know you a little bit, Todd. I'm like, I'll bet this will be good. And I read it and it was fantastic. And I'm like, yeah. man, not only is this good, but is this something we need to share with our leaders? But I think this is a conversation that we need to have a little bit more broadly. So, Todd, if this goes south, I'm blaming you. That's all. That was really the whole point of that. Was you caused me to go against my commitment to not discussing politics and the political season <laughs> on engaging culture. But um, more seriously, as we get into this, uh, Todd, can you just give us a little bit of your background, your background kind of in ministry and in church life, and even in in thinking through some of the issues that we're going to talk about today. Could you just fill us in on some of your background? Yeah, for sure. Well, just to start off, um, we only have five kids. So oldest is a junior in high school, lest you think we truly have like spawned a new uh, generation or something. But uh, five kids, they're all awesome. My wife, Hillary, and I, we live here in Roseville. We moved into town in 2018. 
my background as far as you know political stuff i was first intrigued and really fascinated with the concept of political science especially political philosophy starting in college i'm a graduate of uh, wheaton college out there in illinois billy graham's alma mater and really focused in on uh, political philosophy i was raised in a household that kind of had the viewpoint of there's only one true uh, political party and you know, going there to Wheaton and experiencing professors who had completely different mindsets um, was just mind-boggling. And then diving into the history of political philosophy and the history of church-state relations, uh, I just found it to be so uh, intriguing and fascinating because it's uh, amazing how much uh, the history of the church and politics and those interplays have affected you know the way the world has gone. World history is one of the most influential forces you know, ever, which is awesome and depressing, depending on which parts of the story you're looking at. Um, so yeah, then fast forward, ended up in uh, church ministry. That's a whole nother uh, storyline, uh, an un unintended, you know, uh, unintended career path, but Jesus has a way of doing what he wants to do. Uh, my wife and I were in leadership at, uh, at the Coastlands Church in Aptos, um, California, there in Santa Cruz for about 20 years, including about 10 years as lead pastors there. Stepped aside from that at the end of 2015 and have been finding my way as a you know, nine to five breadwinner since then, which has been uh, another fun part of the, the journey. Um, as far as my passion for politics, you know, like I said, it got started in college. And since then, it just seems like um, so much of the world's perspective about what it means to be a Christian. When I say the world, I mean unbelievers. I think a lot of their perspective of what it means to be a believer comes through the filter of what they see on the news. And a lot of the news is driven by what's happening politically. So I think that from the, from the outsider's perspective, they're viewing Christianity way more through what they see on CNN than what they see in scripture or even what they know about Jesus. It's really God's design that we're supposed to be as a church, a reflection of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And yet I'm not sure. I think that how this all plays out, sometimes there's a, there's a filter over uh, what's really true of Christ, what's really true, uh, supposed to be true of the church because of this whole uh, interplay between politics and, and faith. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I, and I, I suspect that that's something that, that a lot of Christians maybe don't, don't recognize is that what you just said is really true, that for so many in the outside of church world who just aren't thinking about church, aren't attending church, they're not believers, that that their image of Christianity is really shaped by what they're seeing in the media. And in particular, the connection between faith and politics is really, really strong in a lot of what we see presented in the media. And, and because of that, I mean, folks are drawing conclusions about Christianity, about its connection to politics, about a lot of different things based on, based on those things. And those are certainly very, 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 very powerful. Now, I want to ask actually both of you this question Todd, you yourself, formerly a senior pastor in, in Aptos. Uh, Lance, obviously, you're your senior pastor right here. Navigating politics in a church setting is a challenge for a hundred different reasons. Obviously, it could be potentially very, very divisive. Maybe, Pastor Lance, we'll start with you. How do you navigate as a senior pastor? 
how do you navigate just the divisiveness of politics uh, from the place of, of, of somebody who's trying to do Christian ministry? We'll, we'll start with you, Lance, and then go to you, Todd. Yeah, I think I've shared on a, a couple different podcasts that up until about 10 years ago, the number one challenge that I have had in advancing people's spiritual growth or advancing the church, the biggest challenge was busyness. Uh, so basically the the first 15 years of my ministry was basically struggling with people being busy and feeling like we couldn't get anything done. Uh, the last eight to 10 years has been politics, completely shut down uh, my ability to do ministry the way that I feel that ministry needs to be done in the church because it started getting supplanted by um, political party political viewpoints more than scripture. And so when I would try to talk about issues, it always gets pulled into a political conversation. Now, what I, the way that I've navigated it and tried to handle it is that I demand to control the narrative. I don't let someone else demand the narrative where I'm simply just responding to a bunch of questions. Um, I state up front very clearly, this is not political or this is, um, I'm not uh, trying to advocate for this party. I have to say that a lot. And then I just keep pushing and pushing to say, this is an issue of society, which means it's about people that I love. Therefore, I have to talk about it because things are either right or wrong through a biblical mindset as an issue is presented. Whether or not somebody's going to grab that and say, well, I assume that if you think this, you must be part of all of this litany list. Uh, I, I refuse to stay there. Now, people from a distance are still judging me that way. And I just had a notification the other day that uh, people, uh, a, a small group of people left Bridgeway because they were assuming, they, they had heard that we were uh, actively as a church supporting Black Lives Matter, the organization, and giving money to them. Now, where in the world they heard that, I don't know. It's totally false. But the point was, is that I responded to this person. I said, well, that's entirely false. Why are you asking the question? Because uh, if that's the reason that you would leave a church because the church was supporting something you didn't agree with, you're already going to leave over that. But it, now it was just a rumor and you're leaving over a rumor. And they said, well, yeah, these people are just leaving because uh, they're afraid that Bridgeway is going to get too liberal. Hmm. Well, we, <laughs> we are, we are not. And so it's just, it's one of those things. I think the hardest part about it is no one's dealing in truth. They're dealing in assumption. And there's an assumption that's linked to everything else. So that, that's been that's been the hardest part, I think, for me. What about you, Todd? Yeah, I mean, I could echo everything that you just said. I was always rigorous in, in not revealing my political bent. I don't think anyone outside my immediate family has ever been told how I think politically one way, my leaning one way or the other. And in fact, I think I'm, oftentimes pretty schizophrenic on the issue like holy smokes i can see so much of both sides i don't even know where to go yes. with this whole stuff Amen. and yet you know people would assume you know yeah. pastor in santa cruz where the vast majority of the population is you know is leans 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 liberal he must be right. and so that was a, a regular point of grilling but from both sides i mean i'd have yes people who leaned liberal grill me you know how liberal are you well, let's just back up a second. I'm for Jesus <laughs> or Jesus is for me. And so I'm with him, right? Yeah, but yeah very, very complicated. Um, 
you know, I think it's been interesting being here in, in Roseville and in this area, certainly the, the majority of the population leans differently than we could say Santa Cruz. And I would say, you know, of the, of the church in Santa Cruz, way more than half were liberal minded and yet loved Jesus. I mean, what an awesome church. What an awesome church. So I think even just that statement maybe would be the bomb I would want to drop. Like, hey, there are people who love Jesus and absolutely honor the Bible and yet think very differently than probably most people listening to this podcast. It really is possible. And they're not um, they're not unintelligent and they're and they and it's not that they don't have integrity. There's just different ways to think about politics. It's complicated. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So much of, yeah, so much of politics. Uh, sorry, Pastor Brian, just thinking no, about this. So much of, of, I feel like there's two sides of party politics um, or politics in general. Uh, one side is issues of morality and culture. Uh, so they're, they're more internal. And then the other side is policy-based. And the policy-based side of things is like a, a giant puzzle. And everybody is trying to put together pieces to make sure a, a beautiful picture is at the end of it. And if they put in this piece, that means these other pieces have to fit a certain way around it. Mm -hmm. and, and so what you end up doing is you end up at the end having two beautiful pictures or two distorted pictures. And they're put together by the same pieces in different orders. And so... Uh, that's why when it comes to policy, I, I usually I don't I don't feel it is appropriate to say um, to speak too heavily on, like, let's say, taxation from a, a, a style of taxation for, from a biblical mindset. Jesus said, actually, I'm going to go pretty basic on you guys. Give the Caesar what is Caesar's. I need you guys to track with it. I need you to be good citizens. I need to be that. But there's nothing about financial policies per se. So you have to break it down into issues and say, well, if this is an issue, what is a biblical view on this issue? Not how do I feel about a, a, a financial policy? So because once again, whatever pieces you put in first, it forces the other pieces to go around it differently. But you could take all the pieces off the board and reconstruct them in a different order and you can come out with a very beautiful picture. And that seems to be a lot of the struggle, at least with policy that I see. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And, and I think that uh, and, and I certainly uh, resonate with a lot of what you said as well, Todd. I, I think to me, one of the real unfortunate elements of how politicized a, a lot of stuff gets is it really interferes with our ability as, as Christians to, to really be a witness to society. And I think especially as, as Christian leaders, because as, as kind of both of you have alluded to, so many of these things get shot through a, a partisan lens that now the church can't speak biblically about different issues because if I say this about that and I'm trying to be faithful to scripture, people are going to say, oh, he's conservative, oh, he's liberal or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then the other sort of unfortunate part about that, I, I've seen so many pastors say this, uh, is that depending on the environment that you're in, I'm guessing it's probably the opposite in Santa Cruz as it is in a lot of evangelical settings. So many pastors, they get up and say something that sounds you know, this from scripture and sounds conservative, people stand up, cheer, clap, you know, everything else. 
they say something from scripture that sounds liberal, it's, hey, pastor, keep your politics out of this, you know? And it's like, well, wait a second, <laughs> like, you know? So, and it's unfortunate because I think there's so much opportunity. If we could sort of remove the partisan element, there's so much of an opportunity for, for the church and for Christian leaders to really bring wisdom to a lot of the biggest issues we're facing. But I don't know, I, I feel this tension and I'm guessing you guys do to some degree as well. It's like, I just can't talk about these things because of partisan assumptions that are out there. And, and it's just, I don't know, it, it's unfortunate and it, it's a challenge. Well, one of my favorite TV shows out there is this crazy one called Survivor where they have to vote people off the island. And it's interesting because, you know, it's a very political show. They're forming teams and you have to form an alliance and you see people get hurt because you form friendships, but then you betray them. Because the whole basis of the show is if you can form a majority, you can vote the other guy off. And that that's a very small microcosm of democracy as a whole, right? You have to form a majority and then that majority can then push the agenda that it wants. The trouble is, as far as how that relates to the kingdom and as how that relates, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a million directions we could go from there. But I think Jesus is always so interested in the individual. When, you know, when the religious leaders brought the woman caught in adultery, they were looking for him to take a stand that would put him on one side of this hot political debate. What to what degree does Rome influence the way we ought to, you know, conduct our social life and our laws? And should we follow the old school religious way or should we embrace, you know, the new school Roman way that basically says adultery is a no big deal. And so there was a lot of factors at play. But Jesus's interest was the woman, not only the woman, but how can I thread this needle in such a way where every single person who's here can have the opportunity to receive personal conviction, have the motives of my heart revealed and have the chance to repent for the selfishness because every single person in the audience from the woman all the way through everyone on both sides of the debate debate were primarily being motivated by their own points of selfishness and the brilliant response of Jesus whenever he's put in these hot moments is he threads the needle in such a way where it reveals the selfishness of the human heart and opens the opportunity for every listener to receive God's conviction and come to that point of repentance yeah. And that's a puzzle hard to put together because if you're trying to create a coalition, you don't care about individual hearts. I'm trying to form a majority here. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, about that. I just want to talk to this person right here. And it's very frustrating, I think, if you're trying to form a majority to have a God who is so interested in individual people. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. just tell me I'm right and the people like me are right and let's go get the bad guys. It's that simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think if we're honest, that's what we want. But but God in his wisdom, that's not what he gives us, because that's not what's what's good for us. And to have that space for conviction all the way around is is ultimately much more beneficial and much more conducive to to our growth and health and, and, and things like that. Now, I, I want to get into um, I want to get into talking about this document that you wrote, uh, Todd, because in doing that, that's going to open us up to all sorts of different conversations. But as, as I mentioned at the beginning, you, you talked about this, uh, this doc, or you wrote this document, Leading Your Group Through Election Season. And the intended audience was missional community leaders here at Bridgeway. And for those unfamiliar with that language, that's our, those are our, essentially our version of small groups here at, here at Bridgeway. Um, what inspired you to write that document? Well, I mean, having been in church ministry and having overseen a lot of small groups through the years, I've 
I, I understand that this time of year, every four years, can be incredibly difficult. It's, I mean, politics is the number one thing people are thinking and talking about, and so it's going to come up. Um, so just wanting to give those leaders who are looking for some handholds and footholds, like how do I navigate this stuff without losing my mind or wanting to quit my job? You know, I don't want, I want them to feel empowered, give them some handholds so that they understand, okay, I can actually wade into this stuff with some confidence. Cause once you have a few Bible verses and some, con and some concepts under your belt, you really can stand in confidence. Not that you have the answers, but that there really is a there is a solid biblical framework for navigating these things that puts Jesus at front and center and really relegates everything else to secondary issues. Um, and I think for no, most normal leaders, just normal people who are trying to like, okay, how do I lead my group? It can be very intimidating because putting Jesus front and center can feel like a cop out or feel like I'm too, I, I don't have enough courage or maybe I'm you know taking the easy way out by just trying to, but no, 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 that's actually exactly what Jesus did. He put himself front and center. And here's a lot of examples of how that plays out in scripture. Yeah. So you're just following Jesus's example to do what right. he did. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Now, a point you make in the document, and I want I want to have you kind of unpack this for us a little bit. And then Pastor Lance, I want to, I, I'd love to hear your comments on it is is something that, that you talk about is this idea that okay here we are living in 2020 all these divisive political issues all this other stuff um but you say that jesus faced political divisiveness within his within his very his inner circle within his 12 disciples uh tell us a little bit about that and kind of how jesus navigated it yeah a lot of people forget that jesus was born into a culture that had political issues going on at that time as well and the hottest political topic of jesus's day was and i hinted at this earlier what had to do with rome for the jewish people to what degree do we see rome as kind of god's blessing they're building roads and they're improving our economy to what do we see them as god's agent of blessing to the jewish nation and to what degree do we see them as an enemy that needs to be fought and or you know do, should we start a war all these kinds of things and and um you know we could spend a lot of time on that but bottom line it's it's just absolutely fascinating that jesus recruits key members from opposite sides of the political debate he has simon who was a zealot and the zealots were famous for assassinating tax collectors and of course we know matthew was a former tax collector we have no record that either of these guys changed their political perspective after following Jesus. But in Christ, they recognize, holy smokes, here's a guy who has answers that are so much deeper and more profound than anything I've ever believed in or fought for. So I'm going to relegate all of what all of that stuff to secondary status. And I think that not that they left behind their political perspectives, but they left that behind as their primary identity and became Christ followers first and foremost. Yeah. Lance, what, what resonates with, with you from that? Or what, what's what's interesting to you about just kind of that reality that here we go, for lack of a better term, we've got sort of like the hard left and the hard right in Jesus's own inner circle. Uh, and yet he's calling them both into what he's doing. What, what, is, what does that say to you? Well, uh, first of all, it, it's so incredibly appropriate because you have nationalism versus progressive, right? Yeah. So um, you have this idea of, is it all about us and, and our areas and doing the things that we always did the way we did them? Or is it, let's do things new with this new culture? What I think is fascinating is that both of these gentlemen were willing to sign on because they saw that 
the intent of what they were trying to do either began to pale in comparison to a greater agenda or that they were able to see that Jesus's way of solving the same puzzle put the pieces in a different order. Mm. And they went, oh, wait a second. I thought the only way to do it was with force. Oh, I thought the only way to do it was totally caving. You know what I mean? And then then all of a sudden he walks in with this completely brilliant solution that seems, you know, Mr. Miyagi style. And he's just all of a sudden he's talking about these different things. And he ends up uprooting a bunch of stuff through Christianity that within 300 years, everything is different. Well, they didn't. They're seeing some of these seeds being sown and they're going, man, that is so much not what I was about. And you know what? I thought my way was the best of my options. I just now have a new option. And I thought that was so incredible. I would su- I would suggest that it was Jesus' style. Now, there's not, no evidence of this in, in Scripture blatantly, but it would be Jesus' style that when he sent him out two by two, that he would block those two guys together <laughs> and just say, all right, you guys are partnering up for the rest of this three-year ministry and making them be around each other. I think that may, it probably made Matthew really nervous. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that wasn't it. Because Simon the Zealot, they would tend to carry you know, knives and swords and, and stuff like that to assassinate people. So uh, Matthew probably slept with one eye open, I think, at all times. <laughs> so, but, but once again, it's this idea of instead of, and I hope that Bridgeway has always taken this perspective, that it's a lot easier to withdraw and isolate out into the same commune. But it's more biblical to keep pressing into the mess and, and integrating people of vastly different opinions. And so um, I, I hope that we have followed the Lord's example in that, where we're constantly ticking off everybody on all sides, right? Where somebody's always mad at me because uh, I'm not liberal enough or I'm too liberal or someone's mad at me that I didn't talk about this, but I did talk about this. So, so honestly, I think that walking in the mess is part of ministry. I think that is what Jesus was trying to do. Because just isolating out and just being in an echo chamber isn't going to get you anywhere. No, it's not. And and I think that it's it's there's such an interesting principle here, which now I'm just imagining the two of them going out and doing ministry and like constantly fighting over, you know, what they listen to on the radio. But um, and I know they did not have <laughs> radios back then. But um, there, there are a couple of elements of, of this approach that are really fascinating to me is, is number one, just a sense of real, real radical inclusiveness. And, and, and that's something I, I challenge my more politically, um, what's the word here, uh, vocal Christian friends about is I just say, hey, you believe what you believe. I support your right to believe what you believe. The things you post online, if someone who believed opposite of you politically knew you were associated with Bridgeway, and they saw what you wrote, would they feel welcome here? Mm-hmm. I think that's an important question. Because mm-hmm. there is a sense, I think, in, in Jesus inviting the right and the left together, there is a radical inclusiveness. And I think that that has to exist within the body of Christ, that uh, whatever your political background, whatever your political persuasion, uh, you're welcome here. There's a place for you at the table. There's room for you at the foot of the cross, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then with that, th- there is a calling to something greater that the most important thing about you is not your political views and that the most formative influence in your life is no longer whether you identify with the right or the left or, or any iteration in between, but that rather you're a part of this thing called the kingdom of God and your primary identity is that. And, and I think what's concerning to me, if I can just be a little more 
uh, I don't know, blunt in my assessment of some things, I've gotten accused of being liberal a hundred times. I am not liberal. I'm not liberal at all. Um, I have never gotten accused of being liberal by someone who was not extremely conservative. And to me, I have no problem with criticizing liberalism. That's fine. You want to talk about problems with liberalism? I'll, 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 I'm right there with you. But we also need to talk about problems with conservatism. That at the end of the day, if those are our, if either one is our primary identity, that's a problem. That Jesus ultimately calls us away from those things so that we can more fully invest in his kingdom. That doesn't mean we don't believe different things about issues. And certainly there's room for diversity of thinking about issues. But when our fundamental identity is right or left versus kingdom of God, man, I just, I think we've missed it at that point. And, and that's where um, I, I just, I, I think we've got sort of our priorities out of whack if we, if we get, get in that space. Um, any reaction to that from either of you or, or correction or rebuke? I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think if we really understand that our primary role is as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, which is an eternal kingdom. I mean, we're just here for such a short period of time to make a difference yeah. in people's eternities. I mean, there is nothing in this world's politics, in this world's kingdom that could ever touch the impact of what will happen in people's lives if they give their hearts to Jesus. I just, it's, it cannot be overstated the importance of that primary mandate on our lives. And so I think it's more than something to just be thoughtful about. I mean, if we take that, if we take that assignment seriously and we understand that if we put ourselves out there as passionately let's just put it this way if we are more passionate in our public expressions of our political viewpoints whether it's right or left or anything then we are passionate about the kingdom of god and the saving power of jesus christ then we're misleading people and we're really missing our opportunity because no matter where we position ourselves we are by default, if, if people see us as primarily political or more passionate about political stuff than, than, than kingdom stuff, then we are by definition, the way politics works, we are cutting ourselves off from the ability to really connect deeply with approximately 50% of the population. Yeah, yeah. No. Because there are people who will absolutely tune out and turn us off as soon as they figure out that we think differently than them politically. And nothing that we say about Jesus or his kingdom will ever make an impact once, again, they've pegged us as one way or the other. So I just think Jesus was very deft in his, in his dodging of being uh, cornered on the political topics of his day because his primary mission was to reach everybody. Who knows what his actually I mean he never did reveal like <laughs> what do you really think about rome and how it would you know he never hinted one way or the other and i think a big part of that was because he cared so deeply for people and he knew if he came out on one side or the other revealed his his interior thoughts on the topic um he would alienate people yeah no that's really powerful uh lance any thoughts on that uh, yeah, so I just spoke out at the Capital City Worship Rally, which was down at the state capitol this last weekend. And in that, um, I was tasked with talking about unity. And my, my talk began with this concept, before we are Americans, we are Christians. Before we are Republicans or Democrats or Independents, we are Christians. Um, that our, our Christian identity is more significant than our ethnic identity, than our sexual identity. That, that 
if we're, we have to boil it down at the core of who we are first, we are children of God first. And, and that means a certain thing because there should be concentric circles of, of identity that go outward and, and a political persuasion can still be a part of a framework that you work off of. There's, there's nothing wrong with having a systematic view of how you think a country ought to be run. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that there's some wisdom, but it should be so far out from your identity in the circle that you're operating, your primary base is really Christ centric. And I think this is what Todd was talking about, that it's so Christ centric that, um, so for example, uh, and no, every decision you make is going to alienate or draw people in uh, every decision. I remember uh, one time I went to a church and they made a big deal in their church about because their pastor was a 49ers fan. And and it was like every service during, you know, uh, during uh, a football season, you know, go Niners and all this stuff, this rallying thing. Well, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan growing up. And that's the that's the polar opposite. And it was interesting because as silly as all that is. I realized a culture had been designed where I was not welcome. That that if I would have said anything other than "Yay, 49ers," and that was not my heart at the time, then I was an act. I was excluded. So if yeah. something as silly as sports or something as silly and lighthearted as that, which they were trying to bond over, and when you grab the majority and say, "Well, we're going to bond over the majority of what we agree on." That tends to be what happens in a lot of churches about political persuasions. What it's telling everyone else is you're not welcome. Yeah. And, and, and that exclusion to say, well, hold on. If my ultimate job was to live and die for this opinion and I excluded people, that's one thing. If it's just a side part of my life and I'm excluding people, that's dangerous. Yeah. So what I have found is that in my life, the things that I live and die for are and Jesus Christ is is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the name that is above every name. So I will divide over someone that says that he is not um, because that is my central identity. Uh, but even there in my central identity, I'm allowed to keep a viewpoint and still create bridges to people that think differently and then execute love across that bridge. And I just don't think a lot of people are really in that mindset. Yeah, I, I think you're unfortunately, uh, I think you're correct about that. And and I think being really clear about kind of what is that central, what are the central issues in our lives and making sure we, you know, pardon the cliche, but sort of keep the main thing, the main thing instead of, uh, and I think even your, your, your football analogy is, is helpful in that you're right, it is very silly on one level. But on another level, if you're not a 49er fan, it becomes irritating going to church every Sunday and listening to somebody talk about the 49ers. And certainly that only is ratcheted up if right. if, it, if it comes to something you know more substantive like uh, like politics. Now, I want to get into some some practical ways we can lead through this season. But there's one more issue I want to touch on before then, because uh, I think it's very, very important. Todd, you mentioned in this document you wrote, you contrasted sort of the political approach to power versus the the kingdom of God approach to power. Uh, And and you sort of contrasted them using this language of power over versus power under. And and that difference has always been very powerful to me as I've engaged with it over the years. Can you explain to us a little bit of what that means, kind of the difference in those two approaches to to power? Yeah. Um, You know, so to go back to that survivor analogy, 
you know, the, the, the winning team is going to form the majority and, and vote people out. And um, that is, that's the definition of, of, of how it works in democracy as well. Majorities are able to get things done. But broaden it even further than that. Nations as a whole get things done by passing laws and by punishing people who, you know, don't follow those laws. In general, governments as a whole are by definition a, a, a source of authority and power that comes over people. And Jesus made it very clear through his ministry that was not his style. That's not how God had uh, designed him or asked him or wanted him to use the power that he had. He made it clear, you know, again and again, hey, if I needed to, if I wanted to, if God wanted me to, I could call a thousand angels down. We could get this thing done. I could exert power over, but that's not how God's asked me to be. I'm a servant among you and I'm going to come under you. And so Jesus in his ministry always, because I think he wanted to really capture our hearts more than just change our power over is very effective at changing behavior, right? I can force you to do, but I can't change your heart. And the book of Romans gets really at this as well, how laws actually can backfire because they can make us want to do the wrong thing. Romans 7 talks all about that. And, um, and so yet Jesus, so a law, you can pass a law against, just take, take an example, murder, but I can't take murder out of someone's heart simply by passing a law against it. Jesus, on the other hand, can come in and actually transform my heart by loving me and serving me and forgiving me and transforming me from the inside out and actually change the nature of my internal desires to the point where murder is no longer there. That was his goal. So, yeah, I mean, Lance, you taught, you mentioned a moment ago, his, he had a long, it was, it was slow in the short term, but more effective in the long haul. A few hundred years later, the entire Roman Empire was turned upside down by Jesus's teachings. Yeah. Uh, but it does take a bit longer to have those revolutions of the heart, so to speak, than it does to just pass a law and, um, and get things done, you know, forcefully. So, yeah, in, in democracy and in government in general, it's power over. We're going to tell people what to do and we're going to punish them if they don't if they don't follow the rules. And I think yeah. this type of power the church at large has become enamored with. We can try to and we can try to get things done that would line up with scripture by passing laws and forcing people to follow them. But I'm not sure that that's always the most effective. I mean, that's where we really get to think and pray as we come to the ballot box like, okay, is this something that's going to be effective or is this something that's going to be uh, is this something that's going to backfire i mean yeah. back in the early 20th century there were a lot of uh, churches and preachers rallied around the idea of prohibition man alcoholism and alcohol abuse is a really bad thing and we as believers now need to rally again rally together to you know help society curb the ills of this terrible force and sure enough you know but yet prohibition was a failure by, failure by almost any metric that you want to measure it by. Um, so it's just one of those examples where, okay, you got it done through a power over method, but was it really effective even at your stated goals? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, I, man, that, that, that's so well said. And 
gosh, so many questions I want to talk about. We're just going to be here all day. No, we're not going to. But uh, so Pastor Lance, I want to I want to get your thoughts on this. So this power over versus power under uh, kind of juxtaposition here, I, I, again, I think is really powerful that, that ultimately Jesus is about transformation. And we talk about transformation all the time here at Bridgeway. Uh, and and as, as Todd uh, sort of said, that basically transformation is something you get at through power under, not power power over. Um, you and I have had lots of conversations and we wrestle with this. Uh, there's just a lot of agitation in our society about, uh, you know, you hear things like, oh, the church needs to stand up. The church needs to do this and that. I mean, I get, you know, I get emails that say that pretty regularly and I'm guessing you do as well. And those messages are all over in our, in our society. Um, just speaking for myself, I can't help but hear sort of a power over tone to that. And it's not that I disagree that the church needs to stand up, but it's almost like, okay, how do we do that in a power under sort of way? Because I feel like the stand up and fight approach, it just is very power over and, and frankly is sort of fighting the way the world fights. I don't even have a clear question here, but can you sort of, how, do, how does the church sort of stand up, so to speak, in a power under manner? Yeah, I think, um, so I'll, I'll dig into a couple areas and hopefully get very controversial and take a lot of people out. Excellent. Um, uh, so there's a couple different tasks and, and the church has to always ask themselves what they're trying to accomplish. Um, if you're trying to stop a bad behavior and you actually don't have the time to allow them to be transformed. You need to stop the behavior from dam for damaging other people. Then you're going to come with a an over concept because what you're trying to do is you're trying to stop something. If you're ultimately looking for a change or a transformation, it has to go under. So I'm going to give you an example on where two different opinions on a very common issue are looking at these two different ways. And that's the issue of abortion. Abortion is seen from two vastly different points of view. One is from the baby's perspective. When you talk about the baby being um, uh, completely dependent on other people's choices, that's where people step into an over perspective by saying, you know what? I don't really care about the parent part right now. I'm going to stop something bad from happening and it's a behavior that is occurring. So I'm going to make a law whereby while people are transforming, they can, they stop hurting other people that can't protect themselves. That's an over perspective. And in some ways there's some tremendous value to having a discussion. It's just like you would say, listen, if there's a bunch of people shooting people, I'm, I need to get them arrested and put into prison so they can't shoot people and I'll work on their transformation later. However, at the same time, you have people dealing with the abortion issue, uh, predominantly like, like kind of the way I've handled a lot of it, is that subversive inside-out transformation side because I'm concerned not just with the baby, but I'm also concerned with the mom and I'm concerned with the dad. And if I'm concerned with that, I need all those parts being transformed along the way. I think the baby needs to be safe. I think the mom needs to want, needs to be transformed to not want to constantly get rid of the baby and you think dad's same way right so i'm not content with simply blocking someone's bad behavior i want more than that but in order to do that i can't legislate morality 
I have to leap out transformation. So once again, when we rally together and we go, church, stand up and fight, who are we fighting? Um, <laughs> when we were talking about, uh, it, when I was doing my talk, uh, a, a rally, I said, we must always remember that our enemies are not people, they're principalities. And yeah. so if you can rally us to fight a principality, I'm all in. If you're rallying me to fight people, the same people that I have been tasked by God with loving and saving, I'm not so sure that I want to come after them with guns blazing because they're still my property. They're still my role. They're still my, my purpose. They're still my uh, goal to save them. So I understand very much people's differing perspectives. And I think there's wisdom in a lot of them. Um, so I'm not here to tell everybody, man, the way you're doing it is wrong. I'm saying that it's so complicated and complex. I have a hard time with a general rally cry of fight because yeah. I, I'm, I'm too scared that people don't know who we're fighting and they just end up fighting the wrong person. Yeah. Well, and just that, um, for lack of a better term, I, I think kind of the aggressiveness of that kind of a posture and and the very clean we're right they're wrong sort right. of mentality that comes with that I, I just don't think things get solved if we're not willing to come to the table and say okay how am i part of the problem right yes. and now there are plenty of issues that i like I, just speaking for myself that i'm very passionate about and i you know one way or the other on, on different things. However, what I always want to do is I want to recognize that these issues are complex. Now, that doesn't water down my conviction, but what it does is it brings me to the table seeking understanding and ultimately seeking transformation because I think the the fight posture is helpful if you're trying to defeat somebody. I don't know that a fight posture leads to like, oh, they're shooting me. Well, what I should really maybe they have a perspective I should consider, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't create this sort of openness to, to transformation. And I think in a lot of our aggressive political conversations, we might really rile up people who think the same as we do, but we're not transforming anybody. And we're not communicating to those who disagree. Hey, I feel strongly about this, but you're welcome at my table for a conversation. And, and I think that that's, that's really unfortunate. Now I want to shift us here to talking practical tips for navigating election season in church world. So I'm not talking about like upfront worship service type environments. I'm talking about how do we navigate it with maybe people we see and have conversations with on Sunday or people who we're in community with in a missional community or a small group or something like that. Uh, Todd, in your document, you gave us five principles and I'm just going to name them real quick because we're a little bit short on time, but then I want to ask you to kind of unpack uh, a couple of these for us. Uh, you said the number one that we should pray, that we should pray for our government and in its leaders. And that's certainly true. Uh, and that secondarily, we should encourage people to vote their conscience. And man, we could spend a whole hour on, on, on unpacking that. That's for sure. Um, but then you said, and then you said this, you said, adopt a posture of repentance uh, resist fear and stand in hope, uh, and then disagree honorably. Um, and I just realized I'm reading off the wrong list. That's your, when it comes to engagement, how should we encourage people as opposed to how do we lead? Uh, but you know what, whatever, we're just going to go with that. Yeah. When it comes to engaging politically or even leading other people, what did you mean when you say adopt a posture of repentance? Can you, can you talk us through that a little bit? 
Well, I think almost no matter who we are, where we come from politically, there's probably room for repentance. Uh, most people are either uh, a little over aggressive uh, in whatever perspective they come from or a little kind of checked out. Like, I just don't care. Or, I'm intimidated by it. And I don't even want to think about it. And in either in either in either case, there's room for repentance. If I have, I love the way you said it, Pastor Lance, about the, the, the concentric circles of our identity. If if it's gotten out of order and Jesus isn't first and foremost and center, there's room for repentance. If the greater world around me is more aware of my passion about politics in either extreme than they are about my passion for Jesus, there's room for repentance there. If I myself am more passionate about politics, if I'm reading the news and the headlines, and I'm feeling more stirred up about stuff that's happening politically than I am about the Bible verse that Jesus made came, caused to come alive to me when I opened my Bible this morning. There's room for repentance. So, and then on the other side, if I'm just kind of checked out, I don't care at all. I'm not thinking about it. I don't, hey, in a democracy, you know, the, the Bible talks about praying for your leaders. Well, the interesting thing about democracy is we've all been empowered as leaders, like we all get a vote. So as you're praying for the leaders of your government, you can turn around and pray for yourself. You've been given this responsibility to have a thoughtful, informed decision. Um, so I think if we're uh, if we're just kind of checked out, there's room for repentance there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another element that you you talk about is is the idea of resisting fear and standing in in hope. There's obviously a lot of fear. You watch political ads so much fear right and and why is fear used uh because it works right that's uh that's why uh we know the scriptures tell us over and over again to not fear i think it's in the bible so much is because we are fearful and skittish people um pastor lance in our political dealings as christians how do we practically do that to sort of resist being led one way or the other by fear and instead kind of engage politically from a more hope-filled place? I think the, the easiest way or most practical way is you got to go higher. And, and what that means is um, if you're up to your eyes in alligators, you need to get 30,000 feet up and you begin to see a tapestry of what's being designed. So when you fly in an airplane, you go over what used to look like chaos, suddenly looks like parcels, and it looks like a quilt. And you're like, man, that's obviously more organized than I thought it was. I thought I was just going down a street and there were some random trees. The bigger you can pull back, the more you start getting perspective and you start to see God's orchestration in the matter because you start seeing it from his vantage point. And so I, I think making sure that we're not just lost in the mess and the yelling and the reactiveness, that's all very localized and very close. And that gets us a little bit crazy. So I would just say pull back up. And yeah. began to say, all right, hold on. How many presidents have there been? Okay. And what happened? All right. And what if somebody has anybody ever been elected that I didn't agree with? Okay. So what happened? <laughs> all right. And then you start getting, you have to work through these mature processes of saying, okay, I'm part of a nation that's always in flux. I have a Jesus who is always steady. I need to just navigate those two and understand that those are always going to be in a flow. And I don't think that whoever is being brought in next is going to completely take down the entire world. So I have a little bit of time to breathe. 
And in the midst of it, I'm just going to do my best. And God is more in control of our nation than I am. And I'm okay with that. So anyway, it's, it's that big picture perspective. Yeah, no, that's really good. And now, Todd, a question for, for you, kind of uh, somewhat in that vein, I guess. Uh, political conversations, uh, needless to say, political conversations have very much gone <laughs> off the rails culturally. And I am neither for or against social media principally. It just sort of is what it is, and it becomes what it is because of us. But obviously, the existence of social media, everyone has a platform, everyone has a voice. And, and that is certainly, I think it's beyond reasonable debate that it is uh, certainly contributed to the toxicity of a lot of our of our communication. Um, how do we get what are some some rules or some guidelines? And uh, I've certainly got some thoughts on this question, but I want to hear yours first that we can sort of put in place to say, OK, when it comes to political conversations, how do I have those in a healthy way? in a healthy way? And how do I avoid sort of feeding the toxicity and divisiveness that, that exists in so much of the world? Yeah, great question. Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, doing that repentance thing I was talking about first, that that's what has to happen. If I'm, if I'm overly passionate about this, I've got my politics in front of Jesus, that's just got to get sorted out first and foremost. But once we've done that hard kind of heart work, I would say, if we're actually in seeking, you know, wanting to have a conversation with them, with someone, step number one is to realize that this other person is not my enemy. Yeah. Um, and even if they come from a different perspective than me, the odds of, of if, you, if you actually want to influence their perspective, first and foremost, you have to understand where they're coming from. And so if you just assume that they're wrong and that they're bad because they're wrong, you have zero chance of actually having any influence or credibility with them. No one will listen to you if you can't understand where they're coming from. So that's the first is just repent before the Lord, put Jesus out in front and then seek to understand where the other person is coming from before I try to convince them of my perspective. If I've properly understood where they're coming from, I am much more likely to have a healthy happy and potentially fruitful conversation where we both learn a few things. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think that's really helpful. Um, Pastor Lance, how about you? Any, any, any insight you would give us to that question of, okay, how do we, how, how do we avoid toxicity and all of that and instead in, engage in more healthy dialogues? Uh, two principles uh, came to mind when we were talking about this. One is constantly shared by, um, Pastor Francis Enfuser, the former senior pastor of The Rock, he says this all the time. He said, uh, don't use a club when it needs a scalpel. Mm. And it was the idea of how should we get into it? Well, if you're going to do intimate work, tricky work that, that has to divide between this issue and this issue, if it's very complex, you don't come in swinging with a club. So, so uh, making sure that everybody knows that if you're swinging broadly, you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, you have to get in the devil's in the details, but also the solutions in the details. So that's one. The second one is that if you're a mature leader and you're trying to lead people through this, I want to really encourage you to do this. If you're able, let people share and process with you their view, their point of view. Hmm. And your job is not to debate them. Let them process because they're hearing themselves talk. Sometimes they're trying to regurgitate what they heard on the radio or on the TV. And when they hear it coming out of their mouths and they're not quite sure if they can articulate it, 
it started to sound a little bit more silly to them. And so I need you to let them share beyond slogan, beyond pat answers, because now they're getting into a place where they're actually having to process their thoughts. Now, if you let them go long enough and it's well articulated and it's a full, complete, systematic view, maybe you've learned something. But in general, if you let them process and they keep finding themselves running into dead ends as you're asking them questions, you're helping them grow. But what you didn't have was a battle. You had a development. And I think that that's very critical. Yeah. No, that, that's really, really well said. A uh, couple, couple things that I, I would add to what both of you have shared and certainly wholeheartedly agree it, 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 with, with everything you've said is, is I just think we need to be careful about who we're discussing politics with. <laughs> uh, broad social media broadcasting of really passionate political opinions, um, it will change zero minds yeah. and it will only alienate people. Because the problem is when you're doing that, you are broadcasting that message out to maybe some people that are very close to you, but also to people who don't know you that well, who don't have a lot of experiences with you that they can sort of file that away in, in the midst of other like really pleasant experiences they've had with you. And now all they're doing is associating you as, oh, you're that political person who shares all that extreme stuff online. And, and that's really going to get in the way of your relationships. And you might say, oh, but they need to know the truth or they need to understand. They're not listening. <laughs> they're not listening. They're, they're shutting you down. All you've done is all you've done is alienate them. And, and, and I think that we need to be able to have political conversations in environments where there's enough relational infrastructure to handle it. Right. Uh, I've said I'm 100% nonpartisan, but that doesn't mean I don't feel very strongly about candidates and issues and things like that. And I've got people who think very differently than me who will have conversations. And the thing is, is there's enough friendship and relational infrastructure there that we can speak very directly to one another. And it's not like, oh, gosh, I hope, oh, boy, are we still friends? Like, is it OK? Like, we can handle it, right? Whereas the vast majority of people in my life, I just don't have that kind of relationship with. So I'm simply not going to engage in those conversations because it's just not helpful. You're not going to change anybody's mind. And what you're doing is you're then presenting yourself, like I said, to somebody you don't know that well as, oh, well, politics are the most important thing to me. And I'm just going to argue with you, which is which is really not helpful. And, and then one other just principle that I think is so, so important to to politics and theology and, and everything and, and so many other kind of potentially divisive issues is, is you just have to know what you don't believe. Um, if you're getting your definition of a liberal from Sean Hannity, <laughs> you have no idea what a liberal is. If you're getting your definition of a conservative from Rachel Maddow, you have no idea what a conservative, these people, their job is not to tell you the truth, right? They, they're not telling you the truth. Um, I think in order to truly understand your own beliefs and to truly engage the, with the world with empathy, you have to be able to argue against your own beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, I know who I'm voting for for president. I'm not an undecided voter. I'm very confident I could talk an undecided voter into voting for the person I will not be voting for, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so many things that I believe, I'm very understanding of the other perspective and what that does, I'm still very passionate in my own beliefs, but I can understand, I can listen, I can be thoughtful, hopefully, <laughs> instead of just shouting from the rooftops. I think so often we get in our own little echo chambers where we're just having what we believe already reinforced. And we, we have no even ability to understand what 
somebody who thinks differently thinks. And that's where we end up just, we're just talking past each other. We're just shouting and it's really, really, really not helpful. So, and I think that speaks kind of to your point, uh, Todd, about just understanding and the importance of doing that. So um, anyway, I, I guess my, my point in all of this is just, we just need to be careful about where are we having those conversations and does the relational infrastructure exist to be able to be healthy, right? That's great. So as we're kind of wrapping up here and there, man, so many other things I want to talk about. We'll just do another hour tomorrow. Just kidding. Um, I guess two, two final things, Todd, I'd like you to speak to is, is number one, another thing you said in your document, remind people that sincere, smart, Jesus loving people can disagree about political stuff. Can you just speak for a moment? Why is that important? Why, why do we why do we need to understand that? I think the temptation to, you know, to assume that people are either unintelligent or there's a lack of integrity just to vilify people who think differently. Yeah. And it's understandable why we would end up there. I mean, that is the way of the world. That is the way we get things done. All you got to do is watch one episode of Survivor. It even happens on the TV show. You know, you don't want to partner with those guys because they're jerks. You know, it's just so natural. It's part of the order of a power over structure. You say and do whatever you got to do to get stuff done. But as Christ followers, we're called to something more than that. And that is to love and to serve, to come under people with compassion and understanding. Um, yeah. I think I lost track of the question though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just why do we need to understand that, that people think differently? Maybe, maybe uh, Pastor Lance, why don't you speak to that? And then I'll have Todd close us out with a question about kind of resources and just where to go to kind of just engage, think more about how we engage politics from a Christian perspective. But uh, Lance, why, do, why is it important for us to understand that sincere Jesus loving people can think differently? I think it's gonna go back to what I shared at the beginning is there's a lot of different ways to put together a puzzle. And if Jesus is at the center, the puzzle is going to be beautiful. The, the edges are going to seem very, very different. And I, I think that one of the things, I'll just a blatant jump right into it, the, the Republican platform has a certain respect and value for the unborn and for life. And so if I have a Jesus picture where he's in the middle of it, and there's a picture on the side of that of, of a baby in the womb being protected. I think that's a beautiful picture. The democratic platform has a very strong stance for the people that are oppressed and hurting and down and out, which is exactly who Jesus hung out with and spent his time ministering to. So if I have a picture of Jesus in the center and on the outside is a series of care, concern and compassion and, and images of people being walked through poverty uh, I have a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. Those two pictures have Jesus in the center. They have different rims. Mm -hmm. They're both Christ-centered. They're both beautiful and biblical. But mm -hmm. one is from one policy and one is from another policy. Yeah. And so I, I, that that's where I would probably live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, and, and I think that's where, well, I don't know so much that could be said there, but it's, I think just even that simple example of, man, these are both such important issues in the eyes of God. And yet they belong on different sides. That can be very, can be very confusing as a Christian. Okay. Well, what do I do? Right. Yeah. Um, so just final thing, Todd, maybe, I don't know if you've had just resources or books or things that you would, you would recommend, uh, in terms of, um, 
in terms of what's been helpful to you as you've thought to kind of engage engage with politics from a Christian perspective? Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's so much out there that tends to lean one way or the other. It can be very tough to find something that's balanced. And so I've come across a lot more stuff that I disagree with than that I've agreed with. Um, so I think the main one I would point folks to who are who I mean, my, my biggest compassion is for folks who come from for, from me like, hey, I was raised to think this way. And there's something that makes me fundamentally uncomfortable because I just can't see people from the other side as just like that there could be good people out there who think differently than me. And I want to, I want to have room in my heart, but I just don't even know how to come at that. If that's you, I think a great resource is a little book called the myth of a Christian nation by Greg Boyd. Um, just does a great job of diving into scripture and really helping folks understand that the only things that can legitimately called be called Christian are the things that Christ himself did which are things like prayer and servanthood coming under people. And since a nation, it's not a, a slam against America or any other nation, since a nation can't come under people, since a nation can't repent, since a nation, there's not going to be an American flag, you know, in heaven or at the pearly gates, since a nation can't do any of those things that would make a person Christian, it by definition can't be Christian. Right. Um, so again, it's 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 nonpartisan. It's pure Bible, but it helps kind of create some room where if I was raised to think that part of my mission as a believer is to you know try to make this nation be a Christian nation and have it reflect Christ, um, it, it can help bring a little bit more biblical perspective to that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my Myth of a Christian Nation by Greg Boyd. It it the title's a little jarring. I will acknowledge that. Yeah. But it is an extraordinary book, and it's it's uh, one of my favorites. Now, Pastor Lance, you stepped off screen for a second. Were you grabbing something to show us? Or were you That's the a funny thing. As I, I was just looking at my library behind me right before we started, and I was trying to find the book Uncommon Decency by Richard Mao, oh, and yeah. I was going to go grab that book, <laughs> and I just got completely hijacked. I'm like, God, ah, it was right there, and I couldn't <laughs> let it go. So sorry about that to all of you that are viewing. That was totally awkward to stare at the back of my head. Um, so anyway, I'll just highlight the book as if I had it in my hands. But um, yeah. uncommon, an uncommon decency, that's the idea of how to have dialogue with someone you disagree with in a Christian way. Um, it, it, he's a pretty deep, powerful guy. Uh, it's not a massive book, but uh, it's very, very rich. Yeah. Hey, Richard Mao, former president of Fuller Seminary. So, you know, he's got good stuff to say, but uh, <laughs> say that as a Fuller as a Fuller alum. But no, Uncommon Decency and yeah, Richard Mao, he he really championed the idea of convicted civility, which I, I love yes. that terminology as well. But uh, hey, we are we are over our hour. But boy, has this been a fun conversation. And I feel like we've hardly scratched the surface. But uh, thank you so much, Todd, for first of all, for your leadership of your missional community and just the important role you play in ministry here in Bridgeway. And just knowing that groups are going to be impacted by what you wrote and that they're going to be healthier through this season because of it. Man, it's a huge deal. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you, Pastor Lance, for your time today. As always, thanks to all of you for listening wherever you land politically. We hope you know that we love you. And uh, we certainly encourage you to be loving and kind to people of all different political persuasions uh, as we engage this election season. And hey, let's remember Jesus is the main thing. So thanks so much for listening and watching. Thanks to Lucian and Brenton, who are going to take this and make it look good and sound good. And we'll be back with you in two weeks for another episode of Engaging Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.